and welcome to the Now Spinning Magazine podcast with me, Phil Aston. And I'm absolutely delighted to say that today for this episode, I'm joined by guitarist, multi-talented instrumentalist, producer, solo artist, Robin George. Uh, you may know Robin or remember Robin from his very um, big radio and video hit, um, Heartline, from the album Dangerous Music. However, even if you don't, I imagine if, you, if you're a rock fan and you look through your record collection, Robin's name will pop up in all sorts of different places. So Robin's going to be talking about his latest album and his latest projects, but I thought we'd start off rolling back to near the beginning um, when you got your first guitar, which was a Watkins Rapier 33. So it was wrong. a bright red guitar. It was bright red, but uh, wrong. My ah. first guitar was uh, a plastic uh, <laughs> four-string like ukulele-ish thing with the pictures of the Beatles on and My mum bought it me when I was seven or eight and we were staying with friends for Christmas. There was an uncle there who uh, knew three chords and he's taught them me with you know, one finger chords, uh, you know, where you mute yeah. instruments. And he said, you can play any song in the world in the, on this. He was wrong, but <laughs> that was how I started. But the wow. first thing, Trick guitar, yeah, it was a Rapier 33. And I don't know how I got it, but I did. Oh, yeah, I swapped an acoustic. Yeah. With um, a friend of mine whose name was Robin, Robin Chatterjee. Oh, yeah. dad couldn't stand the electric. Yeah. So I just did a straight swap with an acoustic, and we were both really happy. And his dad was. <laughs> yeah, so you, were, you also, because I, I, you... You were expelled, but you were a proper rock and roller very early on because you were expelled from school, weren't you, at a, <laughs> a well, couple of times? It's either rock and roll or just being... I just, just wanted to play guitar, to be honest with you. And I remember at the grammar school, one of the reasons they sacked me was um, I learned that there was there was massive windows, and if I took my Watkins Rapier 33 in, I could put the neck on the window and everybody in the class could hear it. So oh, I sit there doing that during lessons, and they didn't didn't really like that. But they yeah. wouldn't let me in the choir or the orchestra, which is uh, so. I thought, well, sorry, I'll yeah. just do one. Then this happened. So you, you went to school, uh, a comprehensive, which is so different. It had girls and everything. It was wonderful, and bands. And I was in bands, and we used to play in the assembly. Totally different attitude. And then this happened. It's awesome. So there you go. <laughs> and you you went on to Europe at a very again a very early age. How did thinking about my own time in bands? It was very hard to even get in a band or or make the contacts. So you you found yourself off to Europe when you were what sixteen? Sixteen, yeah. One O level I took and then left and went to Europe. So. And what was that like? Did that really no really? Level. <laughs> yeah. The old level, I failed <laughs> and it's English, and I'm quite good at English. <laughs> yeah. So, did the, did the so the, what was it like? Yeah, the tour of Europe. What was it like at, at that age? Going out, who were you with? At, what was the band? Well, it's, it's kind of strange. There was um, a, a school friend and I just used to play together, and then somehow we got a band together, and I sort of forgot all about it because I was doing other stuff. One day, literally, knock on the door. Do you want to come to Denmark with us? So I said, well, yeah, why not? Wow. So we went. Uh, we spent first gig was a month's registry, um, residency in uh, a club called Your Father's at the Stosh. <laughs> and uh, we had 
about half a set. So we were learning songs in the day and then sort of trying them out on audiences. And it was quite amazing. Yeah. And it went down very well. We had a great time. And at 16 in Copenhagen, it's, uh, wow. Yes, it was a learning. <laughs> roughly, when, when, what, what, what year was this, Robin? Roughly when that was all happening. Can you remember? I don't know. Absolutely no idea. Late seventies, no middle seventies. Uh, I started with Dave in seventies, so yeah, no, early seventies. And what were you, who were you listening to around that time? Who were your influences as you started out? Uh, well, as usual, the Beatles, the Stones, and then Fleetwood Mac. I thought Peter Green, what a guitar player! You know, he had the blues man, yeah. Johnny Winter, Edgar Winter. Or just anything that was good, but I'd made you into soul. So if I went to their house, we'd be listening to Motown, etc. They came to my house, we'd be listening to rock and of course Zeppelin, and, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, so I had quite a broad upbringing, and I still love soul uh, because I was forced to. <laughs> I, think I, come, I think that comes. I think that comes. Because you around this, even around this, when you're in this very tentative age, when you first started out, you started to network with with people quite early on, didn't you? Um, you know, at, yeah. where how did you, did you find that a natural thing? I mean, how where did you go to meet people? Where were you, or was it the two of that did it? Uh, no, it was uh, there was a fab record shop in Wolverhampton called Gould's TV. Oh, yeah. And um, I used to, Saturday, Saturdays, and opposite, uh, Saturday morning, Cool's TV, opposite was uh, a guitar shop. And you see the, that acoustic there? Oh, yeah. The guy who owned the guitar, he gave me that because I learned in my flat with his liaisons, let's say. <laughs> and that was his reward. The first ever fiberglass back guitar. And the wow. guy is from, he didn't patent it. Evasion did. Yeah. And uh, but it's still rough, he never sanded it down or anything. But it's the most fantastic sounding, beautiful guitar. I've never, it's never been EQ'd. You just shove a good mic in front of it and play, and she does what she does. The the other thing I think that sets you apart is that you became very efficient at finding your way around a a recording studio, didn't you? You you start, you self taught yourself engineering and producing. Did you have a natural interest in that, and and how? Where did you? How did you go about that? Uh, when I was a kid, I was lucky enough that um, I had two cassette decks. So I'd play guitar on one, copy it to the other while I was singing or soloing, and so that was the start. Two cassette decks, and I just progressed. Then I got a four track, then I got an eight track, then I got 20, 16, then twenty four, and. Uh, my peak, I had the most beautiful studio, 880s land, horses, and it got robbed and they took everything. Oh, everything. no. Desk. Uh, it was the first time, last time I ever remember actually bursting into tears when I walked in that morning. Everything. All the oh. Banachier stuff there. Yeah. All the, you know, everything. But, thank heavens, they left my guitar. So they must have known me who ever did it. And I haven't known, I think I know. But anyway, they wiped me out. Couldn't oh, work dear. for a while. So, but anyway. So the reason I then got into it was um, I was recording with um, Daniel Boone, as in Beautiful Sunday. Yeah. Daddy, don't you walk so fast? Would you? My missus still bursts into tears when she hears that. Oh. <laughs> anyway, um, I was uh, recording a fabulous engineer and he had to go. And there was nobody else to do it. 
So I just thought, well, I'll do it then. And just went on. Then I started doing sessions with, um, well, you know, Woody Wood and obviously David Byron. Yeah. Just, just went on and on and on. So, uh, and the, the, so the, the next thing I wanted to ask you about was um, was the album History, which yeah. you which is what, what what year was that? Was that 90, early eighties? Stop asking me years, Phil. I do <laughs> not know what year is it now for heads. <laughs> I don't. Know. Anyway, who knows? I think. Well, was, uh, you were still you were still yeah, because I can see why you were. Later on, I'll ask you this in a bit more detail um, when when Duran Duran came after you to see if you wanted to join them. But you you had kind of this perfect pop rock crossover. And now that you've said who you were influenced by, I can see that you you weren't your typical listening to Purple Sabbath Zeppelin rock guitar person. You obviously you you were listening to a, a broad range of music and obviously pop and soul. And so that probably set you apart with what people might have expected have you have you always just found that easy just to write music that crossed over different genres i i, I don't do it on purpose it's just the way it comes out really right comes out i mean i was really into early golden and you know t-rex obviously I mean. yeah and um <laughs> a lot of my stuff reviewers say oh that sounds a bit like t-rex it's not on purpose it's just what's inside me i suppose yeah. trying to struggle his way out <laughs> how do you how do you feel about the album history now is it something you play or no i never ever listen to stuff once it's released unless i'm it's on in a pub or a club or somebody else is playing it i don't play my records then why would i have heard it millions of times <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's there yeah, that's very very true <laughs> I'd like to ask you about your, because you just mentioned um, David Byron, the ex-URI heap vocalist, yeah. um, because you did um, a couple of uh, albums with him, didn't you? I mean, I've got, um, I think On The Rocks is the one I like the most. Yeah. Uh, some great, some great songs on that, some great, you know, performances. Yeah. When you when you met him, he'd obviously, he'd been right up there in the biggest band you could probably imagine with all the limousines and everything else. And he was probably in leaner. He was in leaner times. Was he, his, yeah, was he, had he adapted to the, the idea of almost like starting again? How did you find working with him? Well, the first time I ever met David, uh, he was unconscious outside the pub, opposite the studio. <laughs> Top, Tom Thompson, the drummer, had brought him along to meet me. And between me and Tom, we managed to get him up back into the pub. And we slumped him in a chair, got a beer and sat and just watched him waking up. And um, I had my best mate, John Woodbridge, drove me there. And the first thing he did, pointed at John and said, what the fuck are you looking at? And he was like, hi, David, I'm Robin, I'm here to meet you. And he's like, oh, hell. And it, was, it went on from there, but he was fantastic to me. I mean, you can't work so in-depth with people without falling in love with them, like brotherly love, obviously. Horses. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. So you become... You know, you form immense bonds um, because you're pouring your hearts out to each other and sharing your innermost thoughts with you when you're writing. So, um, yeah, we became very close, spent months and months living with him in uh, Reading, Sonny, it was, sorry, and um, with his uh, gorgeous German wife and his Alsatians. And then uh, somehow just my career started taking off 
and we somehow just drifted apart really. But the days with the Byron Band, I, they were great. And no, it wasn't to come down to him, he loved it. Um, there's live tracks on the Lost and Found album, and you can hear he's having an absolute ball, so are the audience. I yeah. think we're in Liverpool, uh, he says 300 Liverpool faces, and the cheer is, of course, immense. Uh, but the riots were literally going on outside, and every gig we did during that tour was riots. When we played the Lafayette, which is one of the best um, circuit gigs ever in yeah. Wolverhampton. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Same guy who drove me to the David meeting was my best man. It was the day of my bloody wedding. <laughs> and uh, we got outside, and there was bricks, rocks, crowbars, everything. He said, I'm not living here, I can't, and drove off. So David and the band were stuck in the pub all night. And I've since met people who were at that very night going, why didn't you turn up your Pratt? And so yeah. it was the first, the first gig I've ever missed, but no way was he let me out of the car, so I had to get them. Yeah. Wow. And yeah. I think it was as your, your career was starting to take off, you then worked um, for a bit with Roy Wood. Was yeah. that around the same time, yeah? Yeah, I'd, again, I'd been engineering at the Smithy in Worcester for Roy and... Um, I, I, I don't know quite how it happened, but I was just playing around with the guitar when uh, he arrived one day. I didn't even know he was in there. And he said, oh, do you want to uh, come and have a go with the band? And I said, well, yeah, I'd love to, because I loved Roy's voice and Blackberry Way I thought was great. And Yeah, yeah. So it was kind of, uh, yeah, I'll have a go. And um, then, next thing I know, it was a Christmas tour. And uh, it was absolutely fab. People love Roy, because Roy's very lovable, basically, so... Yeah, he's a proper brummy. Um, no. uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and you've uh, you've not lost uh, your accent either, has it? It's still. What do you mean, mate? What do you talk about? I don't know. I'm not my fucking accent. Yeah, hold on. Right. Yeah. No, 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 I grew up on the good side of Wolverhampton, if there is such a thing. So, uh, yeah. And went to grammar school and the great prep school and all that stuff. So. What so if you accusing me of that, no. I'm proud. I'm proud. proud yeah, of not, no, no, not at all. Um, I think that 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 area of um of the country is, has produced some of the best musicians. I think in any in any genre of music, haven't they? This is endless, or indeed the world, you know, or indeed the world. In fact, you know, they even we even invented some of the genres of music out there. With, um, with with Sabbath and stuff, so, and, and bringing us into the more metal end of the of, of the spectrum, that the, the next thing that that you were involved in was Diamond Head, who would go on to influence, yeah, to go yeah. on to influence one of one of the biggest metal bands in the world, Metallica. And yeah. how, so, how did you get involved with with Diamond Head? Uh, basically, um, I was again in the Smithy in Worcester and um, they came in to record a single and uh, I was engineering and then just uh, this just producers and uh, I'm managing and Sean's mom Linda said yeah please produce it and it was called uh, Sweetening Innocent and um, I used to call it a sleeping in a tent which they didn't quite get but uh, anyway it turned out how it turned out and uh, but I only did the single for them not the album oh you so. didn't do the album okay so, yeah. But, but he must had, yeah. yeah. So Sorry. so, did you did you feel at the time that they would be so be influential? influential? Uh, well, uh, it was before Metallica. What what happened yeah. was that Metallica covered. Yeah. I think three of their songs, and of course, you know, they're still um, 
very happy about it, especially when they talk these days, because they're yeah. you get any money anymore. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, no, Diamond Head were Diamond Head. They were Dad Sean. And they were very special for that alone, you know. Was, uh, I was working with him last year. No, the year before last, we got back together with Notorious. And then suddenly he said, oh, don't you eat any more? You want to hear a black country accent? Sean's got it. And, yeah, what do you think if, to hear him sing? You know? But I've always loved his voice, loved working with him, but he has his ups and he has his downs. Sure, he's sure. But we did five tracks in a week. He came over here and it was it's sounding immense. But I haven't listened or touched it since because one day he might come back to the fold, one day he might not. You know? But it's good. He's still yeah. got it, definitely. Yeah. Because you, and he still knows, definitely. <laughs> you, you, work, you worked with him... Um... After this, didn't you? Before the recent time, when you had, had almost like a record of the week, didn't you? On Radio One, um, is that? Yeah, we did. Uh, Swalk, the Swalk. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so, so yeah, we. A... I, I, I didn't. I'd forgotten, but I, you, you put it in a note. So thanks. <laughs> it's funny though, because Radio One were really good to me generally. So, uh, Tommy Vance, Heartline Record of the Year, Fluff Freeman, Heartline Record of the Year. And Tommy did Dangerous Music Album of the Year, so and they were both really great people, and I was so proud to have known them, be able to listen to them, play my stuff, and it was great, super. Well, just before we just before we get to that point, you also with the Climax Blues Band, oh. and uh, yeah. great band, um, yeah. and I, I listened to the album that you were on um, just a few days ago, and you can tell that you can tell it's you, and you can tell it you're. you're you, did you feel that you were pointing them into a slightly more modern direction? Not at all. I only played on, I, I mean, during rehearsals, yeah, definitely. And then, but I only played a bass of all things on. Oh, one, really? Yeah. yeah. On one track. But Pete and I uh, really hit it off big style and lost touch for a while. Then Tomo, yet again, the guy who discovered David with me on the floor, put me back in touch with Pete. And then uh, we made an album. Um, put put a band together uh, it's absolutely fantastic band did an album and then of course in this day and age it's still sitting on the shelf really it's a shame a really good album really good album well I, th- I know you don't like doing dates or years so I think hopefully I've got this one right but I think it's about 1983 now and now you're everywhere um, before you're before you start to break out on your own and you you're producing Witchfinder General you're yeah. Quartz Magnum uh, yeah. You've got a song covered by Ted Nugent. Uh, you're also doing Rathschild's Stack Attack. Now, a lot of these are to do with, uh, well, some of them are to do with um, heavy metal records and Paul Birch. Yeah. How, how did you get involved with Paul? Um, well, I'd always known Paul um, from from a distance. And who else is going to produce your record if you're in Wolverhampton? You know, I mean, there ain't many of us there that I know of anyway. Uh, so I became... I wouldn't have said it at the time, but they're sort of in-house producer, which is why. And I mean, you can imagine uh, Witchfinder General. That's such a laugh to record. It really was. And um, Stack Attack. I mean, again, we did Witchfinder General, recorded it in Coventry. But um, Stack Attack we did in London at DJM Studios, who I was signed to them as publishing. So natural thing to go to. And they come I insisted on 10 o'clock in the morning starts because, you know, rock and roll and all that. <laughs> and they used to come in on the tube through Russia in their full stage regalia. Wow. Now, 
there was not many empty seats. There was many empty seats, even in packed trains. There was gaps around everywhere, but they were such fun to work with. <laughs> and great. I really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think they wanted to be the UK's version of Kiss, didn't they, really? Um, yeah, they were sort of, they had, I don't know, I think I've, I've just asked somebody to try and get me the album again because I haven't heard it since. As I said, I don't listen to stuff. But uh, I, I think they should have made it. Uh, just back to heavy metal records or Revolver, whatever they were called at that time, Paul. Yeah. They put yeah. an album out, they did this with Stack Attack. So now we're moving to 1985 and. As you just mentioned earlier, that the year when Alan Freeman, Tommy Vance were making, you, were going to make you album and track of the year with Dangerous Music and Heartline. What was that like when when that when when that came out? Did you know that you got something on your hands that was going to make that kind of impact? Um, well, sort of. I was lucky enough, very lucky enough, to be signed to Bronze Records and um, Jerry Bron who was like an uncle to me, really, in the end. He's a great bloke, bless him. Um, oh. Anyway, uh, he came in to listen to the playback, and after Heartline, he said, if you've got an album full of stuff like that, you're going to be you know, megastar. And, um, well, I hadn't. <laughs> but so, so, yeah, if a, a guy of his, you know, I mean, when you think of Motorhead and many other bands that he was, uh, you know, involved with and made, who they became... Uh, it's quite incredible. So um, I was given clues, and then of course all the TV and the touring, and which is why really I miss so many opportunities. I wish I'd have taken like Asia and of course, you know. Anyway, we'll talk about that. I'm sure. Yeah. So yeah, I had an idea. I had an idea. Because you're also you're on the front page of Kerrang. Um, you were just you were just everywhere. I mean, you know, I remember that myself, you know, um, you know, I was with bands in the Midlands and um, thinking, well, you know, this, this guy's just, you know, it's like a rocket now. He's just, it's just every, he's just heading everywhere. And I've seen obviously the videos, uh, you know, they yeah. still hold up and look great today. They're, you know, it's a fantastic track, fantastic production, um, great, great styling and everything. I, I noticed also that you, you took on board another guitarist. Um, it was uh, Hugh Lewis from the band Trouble. Because I used to see Trouble a lot in the the railway uh, in Birmingham. They were great, great band. Great, 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 great band. So, do 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 you work with Hugh? Have you ever worked with him again, or did you still stay in touch? No, um, but he he crops up a lot, and he's always credited anything he's on. He's you know given his due for, of course. Um, but no, just uh, not really in touch. He was a great lad. He was uh, daft as a brush. <laughs> One of my favourite memories. We were in uh, somewhere in Hamburg or somewhere in Germany and we went for a curry and he would not believe that the Asian waiters weren't from Birmingham. He would not have it. <laughs> they was as German as, as he come. But yeah, he was a great lad and a good player, very good player. Yeah. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been in the band, obviously. So when so when um, this was, this obviously with all the media spotlight on you with with this album is that when you had other things coming in like the invite to potentially be in a band like asia and the duran duran uh, was that also around this time uh number one duran duran total myth oh they right they didn't ask me and i wouldn't have joined them anyway i mean not, you know if i join a band they've got to have a single oh, yeah yeah i'd never have joined that. Uh, 
yeah, Pete Green, as in Daniel Boone, used to say, you know, if you're going to sing out of tune and in front, just do it in private. Not sort of <laughs> anyway. So no, that is a myth. It never happened. Right. But it was good publicity. So, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet it was. Yeah, because because you because they could almost see that. You could almost see how that came about because of the way that you presented yourself. You weren't like a yeah. typical um, hair metal type guy. You you were stylish. You cross again. You it was <laughs> it was rock music, but it was also very as as Jerry Brown had said. Heartline was a fantastic. It was it's a pop song. It was a rock song. It was both. It could have gone yeah. either way. You know. Yeah. No, yeah. Absolutely brilliant. So what what. So, because then what what happens next is you actually start working with almost a revamped thing, Lizzie. Yeah. So, what but, was it not a thing to follow up Dangerous Music with another solo album, or did you? How'd... Oh, I don't. I, I, yeah, I went straight from Dangerous Music into you know the second album. Yeah. Uh, well, third if you include yeah. history. Uh, so I had all that ready to go under my belt, but no. Phil and I, uh, first time I met him, again, at the Lafayette in Wolverhampton, I saw Lizzie standing at the bar and Phil was next to me and we just started chatting and just, you know, as people in the pub, the club. Yeah. Did. And I thought, wow, he's a nice guy. Next time I saw him, I was auditioning for Lizzie when um, the medal left. And anyway, um, years later, when we re-met, he said, I-, I didn't get the job, obviously, Snowy White did, which is... A- Terrible move for everybody concerned, I'm afraid to say. But um, they did it and, you know, it went well. But um, then when I met Phil properly, he said he wanted me in the band and it was just politics and all that sort of stuff. Obviously, it must have been, I don't know, another guitar player who didn't want me in. But um, it was uh, amazing times, really. And then, you know, uh, what happened was I was, again, in DJM Studios recording... um, it was, uh, I was recording Showdown, which I think, I think that's on history. I don't know, so many albums, but it's hard to remember. <laughs> but anyway, the point, it, oh no, it's on Dangerous. I've just been tipped off from my beautiful, thank you, darling. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are you doing in here? <laughs> and a dog. Oh, hello, yes. Willem. Anyway, um, he said he wanted me in and then we were writing together and um, at, at his gorgeous sort of mock Tudor mansion in... <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I just remember just such fun man. we just got on so well so then we went to do um, TV show and we had to fly to Newcastle with Brian Downey as well yeah. he was a lovely man I've got to say he's a lovely man I still presume and on the way back he said right I'm going to reform Lizzie do you guys want to be in and we said of course not uh, yeah, yeah let's do it so then we carried on writing and we were recording. He had a little studio in his shed with a Brenelet track recorder, exactly the same as I had at the time. Yeah. And it was just magical and we were recording stuff and then the inevitable happened and we lost him. It was terrible, terrible times. And uh, I was still missing that, to be honest with you. We had such, we were like brothers in the end. It was great. I remember sitting in his bedroom, cross-legged on the floor, acoustic guitar each smoke a drink and uh, just writing stuff that neither of us had ever heard before it was great super recorded it all then when we lost him we lost all the tapes mm-hmm. god knows he's got them i've put out searches no nothing's come up and people have tried but uh now nah, they've gone 
but not forgotten. Oh, that's that that, that is such a shame. Um, I mean, I've, the the video on YouTube of you playing um, on the track is it nineteen? Probably is it from that that show? You you look as if you're having the time of your life. You know, you you know. We both were. Yeah. I mean, as I say, we got on great, and Brian was just great as well. So it was just like a band of brothers, if you like. Yeah. So, uh, oh, it's been done. <laughs> yeah, your your guitar your guitar playing and and you know you you just slotted in to if that if thing Lizzie had carried on you'd have you'd have slotted yeah. in just perfectly. Yeah, but that was the plan, and then it wasn't. So. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, bless him. I love him. You also then worked. Um, you also worked with another um, heavy metal records band or Revolver Records, which is Martial Law. Um, yeah, yeah. Who were a bit like Priest, weren't they? I think, if I remember rightly. They were priests too, without a shred of a doubt. <laughs> but uh, I've got to say, there, Dave, the guitar player, is better than anything priest ever came up with. Oh right, so really good. Yeah, Dave Martin, that's it. Yeah, fantastic. And um, uh, Andy Pike, the singer, and I—I I remember sitting outside at Bridge North in the studio before it went, uh, writing. I think it's no just, no justice. Yeah, that was a song. And uh, they were just real fun to work with, and really professional and um, just got the job done and Brilliant. there you go it was one of those records like in the old days recorded in the week mixed in a few days and oh, I change it yeah. yeah i'd love to hear it again i really would so i will one day yeah well the the next person i want to ask you about is someone who who i really like myself and that's uh you collaborated with glenn hughes um on the track haunted um yeah. which was used in the movie a movie was it um Highlander, uh, Highlander Two, Highlander Two, Highlander Two. Yeah, the, the worst follow-up film ever. Um, for example, my beautiful dad-in-law watched the whole film and he had to switch it off in the end. He, he heard the song and then switched it. He couldn't watch it. Nor could I. We went to see it in the, uh, the yeah. flick of the opium in Brum, and when it was a cinema, and um, I had to leave and come back in just to see my credit at the end. <laughs> <laughs> it was terrible. I've never seen it. I've never seen that. I've only seen the first one, which I really like. Um, so, so you've not sold it to me. Uh, so, but but that's a great track. And obviously, Glenn, <laughs> Glenn Hughes around that time. That was probably when he was still in his troubled period, wasn't it? Um, it oh yes. Yeah. So that was the oh, that was the case. It was. Well, again, amazingly, totally professional. You know, we did a whole album, don't you? No, I didn't, no. Oh, yeah, yeah, we co-wrote and I produced. Uh, it's called Sweet Revenge. Never went out. I sent a, a purportedly record company, um, very low-quality version. The book has released it, so it's a bootleg. But strange you should bring it up, because I'm actually it's being remastered right now, and it's a great album. And the point I was going to make was, yeah, Glenn was, you know, he's doing stupid amount of drugs and... Whew, uh, etc. And um, then it's stand up and sing. And well, I'll send you some MP3s of the album. You're going to like it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, well, well, that's that is that's really exciting news to think that 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 album is going to see the light of day. Um, because that is that's you know that's going to be really exciting. You know, for fans of Glenn and for people to really put spotlight on on yourself as well. Really, I mean, sound, that sounds. Um, great because that track haunted is is, fan, is fantastic so what was the album similar similar well i guess it was just your you and glenn's style was it did you write together 
Yeah, uh, yeah, we wrote I think two or three tracks together. The rest of mine. Oh so, right. Um, oh yeah, and some uh, pretty damn good versions of them from Glenn. Yeah. I mean, he did, you know, he was like, I don't know, doing ridiculous amounts of cocaine and ecstasy and whatever you could think of, and he was also incredibly overweight. Uh, this video, so I've got videos. Yeah, yeah, I did, I did notice that that he's a lot yeah. bigger there than he is now. Yeah, I did. Yeah, well, last time I saw him at JB's in Dudley years ago, and I went, I was with Mel Galley and the guitar player from JB's and White Snake, yeah. and he was uh, thin as a rake again. So that's cocaine for you, mate. Yeah, binge. There, they, they, there you go. So, is, so is Glenn Hughes also aware that this album's coming out? Is he part of? Is he? Uh, not at the moment. No, he's very very difficult to get hold of but i mean it, we recorded it so many years yeah. ago in my studio i paid for it all i mean then we did go into fantastic studios but the album is the ones the original versions for my ass because it just couldn't beat him really well that's that's really that's really exciting news and to then we bounce from one bass player um to another which is pete way from from ufo <laughs> uh. darling pete yeah <laughs> I mean, yeah. he was also a bit of a party person, uh, um, but uh, whereas, where, <laughs> whereas Glenn's kind of mellowed and sorted, gone down a straighter route, Pete was always a rock and roll party person, wasn't he? Yeah, he certainly was. I mean, he was like the uh, uh, the archetypal rock and roll star, really. Fantastic. Yeah. And uh, I mean, the thing with Pete was, that we, again, you have to fall in love with people, whatever the faults. And boy, he had a few, but <laughs> just so many memories that uh, are quite incredible. Because then I did a tour with Wasted, which is Pete's band, obviously. Yeah. And uh, that was a laugh, I've got to tell you. Good God. But again, a total professional. He could be absolutely, I mean, he stayed over at my place with the studio in Wolverhampton, not original. Yeah. And a glass of, you'd offer him a glass of water for overnight. No, he'd have a bottle of wine by his bed, white wine. And you wake up in the morning, you go. Good God! Yeah, he was the most serious alcoholic I've ever known. But he functioned. But he still, still did his stuff, didn't he? Yeah, he didn't, and then unfortunately, another one bites the dust, man. But your, the again, the music you on the Wasted album you did, and then Damage Control, it still stands up to me. That you know, um, the great, great records. You know. Yeah, I, I only mixed uh, the Wasted album, but Damage Control was totally. Mine, yeah, that should that should have. Um, uh, is that a, I don't know if there's a remastered version of that out, or there should be. Um, I mean, that should get that that really should have a, a wider boost, yeah, it should. I mean, it's a very good rock and roll record, it's, it's the right foot mood, right words, right vibe, yeah, spike great on it. And uh, there's um, you know, it might be like, what a drummer, it'd know? be the kind of thing that if you know the reissue label Rock Candy Records, it's the kind of thing that they should do as a project. Uh, it's sort of difficult because um, I sort of was in, I was just releasing, well, making records, no outlet. So in the end, I signed stuff with um, uh, Angel Air. Records oh, yeah, Angel Air, yeah. Yeah, what they are great at is getting them in, out to CD. Then they do nothing. There's no promotion. It's all changed. Peter, who ran it, had plans and a different idea, but the new guy, who, you know, we're in negotiation with this um, uh, rock star album yeah. at the moment. So hopefully, but 
you know, it's a bit like Paul Birch, put it out, see what happens. Mm. No, no, no push. Fiber. Yeah, yeah. But I think damage control is a very valid album. I'll, to- I'll totally. Totally. Um, I'll put a link. I'll put a link to this um, the spot the album on Spotify. I think in my in my web uh, web post when I do this. I think it's really it needs to be heard by more people. And then we come to a project that's it's got so many names on it um, that it looks like a rock and roll hall of fame, which is Love, Power, and Peace. Oh gosh, yeah. Now tell us tell us a bit about this because this is uh, this is epic. I don't really know what to say. I uh, started out thinking um, somehow I thought, well, it's time to give a bit back to that. And um, we did a single for um, uh, Macmillan Cancer, obviously. Yeah. And um, <laughs> which was really, it was Love, Power and Peace, the song. So it had, you know, a myriad of, as you said, rock and roll, all the fans on it. And the nurses put their own record out the week before Love, Power and Peace came out, which just swamped it, which I thought was kind of strange move. We were only trying to make money for the people who need it, you know. Yeah. But yeah, so we did the single and I just thought, I might as well make it an EP, do four or five tracks. And suddenly I'm in touch with people who are putting me in touch with other people. I think it ended up in total with over 100 people, including the choirs that it so, Wow. So, probably 60, maybe 70 individual stars from the world of rock. Well, yeah, you've um, said it. We can, with members from Alice Cooper, ACDC, UFO, Asia, Diamond Head, Motorhead, Uriah Heap, Duran Duran, Mott the Hoople, Martial Law, Climax Blues Band, Ruby Turner, Arthur Brown, Jackie Graham, Charlie George, Freya Copeland. It just goes on and on. Um, yeah. Freya was in, uh, what was her program? Emmerdale. She was the copper in Emmerdale, by the way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Angie the copper, I never saw it, but I'm anyway yeah so then we set up this session in Birmingham oh god what a day that was and there's probably how many a hundred people milling about we went to Urbana studio who donated everybody on it by the way nobody took a penny uh all for the right reason nobody asked for a penny apart from Pete Way he said can I have my taxi fare back Rob and I said no you blimey car can't so he pulled a can of super out of his great big coat pocket and gave it me and that was the end of negotiations that's true <laughs> what a darling I yeah mean, this is mad. <laughs> so yeah i mean anyway, it was just fantastic and all these people i mean this what we did a version of uh, little help from my friends the beagles and the vocals sean sings it and jackie graham sings it no uh, jackie williams sings it and did it me then there's seven i think guitar solos on it yeah and i don't know why i did it but boy was it difficult to do as you can imagine yeah but in this age of technology, it's just sit here and do it. Yeah, that's true. So it's is your incredible. the other big project that the Rockstar Legends project? Is that yeah. did that was that inspired by your Love Power and Peace project, or is it just an, a, another part of your creativity? You thought, I know what I want to do this next. Well, no. What happened is, uh, I suppose it's partly due to lockdown, etc., which is very different here from anywhere else. It's much sort of anyway. It, anyway. I just thought, what am I going to do? And I thought, well, I've got all this stuff in the vaults from all these fantastic people I'm so lucky to have known, written and worked with and performed with. I thought, why not try and put it together? And so that's where it came from. And um, it's very bittersweet to do. You know, I miss so many of them so much. You know, I won't list because there's too many. But uh, listening to them again and editing and mastering, etc., it's sort of 
but now it's done i just think it's keeping their memories alive i hope as well i mean personally i think it's 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 an absolutely unique project from and i don't think anyone else could do something like that it's because you're not only are you an artist and songwriter and a, you know a name in yourself but because you've done all this recording and you're someone that sits behind the desk as well you've you've collected all of this stuff and you've got access to it whereas you haven't had to go across like 55 different record companies asking for permission from different people you've got it all that you've compiled this and I was looking at it, and it it's just it's unique isn't it and as you say a lot of those people are now no longer with us it's a it's yeah. a fantastic um it's a fantastic project you know well it's to me, it's a tribute to them yeah. all as well. So, um, but yeah, let's hope people do like it because I think some of, you know, as it says in the sleeve notes, everybody played or sang or did backing vocals or co-wrote. So it's a real good example, you know. And of course, you know, people like John Wetton, you know, it was uh, just so great to work with. Well, yeah, that's that's a that's another that's another guy as well, isn't it? It's just it's just. It's just fantastic to look at when I looked at the cover and you see all those different people like John Wetton and, you know, David Byron, Phil Linnett. And you think all of these people all are connected, you know, that you've, yeah. you've been involved with all these people over the years. And you've, you know, and you've put this. It, it, no, it looks like a complete labour of love um, yeah. and done with complete respect for all the musicians you've worked with. So, yeah, I, I really hope that 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 really does, you know, does well. And continues to to sell as well. That's you know great stuff. Did you know ABBA? They've sold uh, a million records and they got sixty five quid from streaming. God, they sold actually six million. So they got anyway. The point is sixty five quid per million. Wonder why we're broke, eh, mate? <laughs> well, I mean that, that's why um, I put together the now spinning magazine brand was for because I've got a whole community of music collectors around the world and and that yes streaming is fine to discover stuff but once you've discovered it if you like it you should buy the record or the cd and support the artist because by buying the cd you're closer you have a closer relationship with the artist that um listening to music you've rented will ever give you and you put bread on the table as well mate i've got to tell you times are tough you know yeah for musicians worldwide it's just appalling so so, yeah. so those so, of you so, those of you watching this and listening to it later on no matter where you are um there are some right. great albums yeah. to listen to here and some great albums to purchase and have in your collection and that brings us to your most recent stuff which is wilderness and heartlands the acoustic album yeah. heartlines heartlines even yes yeah, sorry uh, so, so so this was is this a labor of love as well here it is that's uh this is out now yeah and uh, available through Amazon everywhere. You can see it's a lovely package. There's a 12-page booklet of rock poetry in it. And um, they're all a labour of love, really, but it's uh, what I love doing. So, you know, I can't do anything else. I've done loads of things. I've worked in factories, petrol stations, yeah, yeah. drivers. Uh, but music is all I can do. So do you, so do you feel that... Um as we've just talked about streaming, that, that having a physical product for your fans to purchase is, is important to you? Because a lot of artists now just think, I'm going to release this digitally and that will do. Yeah, well, um, to answer that, you know, we've got, this is out right now, again, 
physical yep. again. I, to me personally, I still like putting a, something, I you know, prefer vinyl, but I haven't got a record deck anymore. And this one is up next. Yeah. Which is called Feed the Wolf. Again, it's a CD, it's real. And then there's this one. Oh, this is interesting. It's a total instrumental album. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which I've never done before. And uh, it's really quite fun. It took me uh, three or four days to play the whole album because, of course, I knew the tunes. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, people have, you know, people who've heard it think it's great. It's very, you know, I haven't heard an instrumental album, you know, apart from orchestral for many moons. So see what happens. Yeah, yeah, that would be good. Again, because of your, your, sen- your sense of melody and and song structure that'll that'll be that'll be really really interesting yeah yeah so people want to get hold of you or find find a where, where would you where, where would you recommend they go uh facebook is nowadays the best which is just robin george music i think and the website is robingeorge.co.uk mm-hmm. and you i'm sorry i'm being whispered at could you just talk please you can buy all the Oh, yeah, and of course, sorry, sorry, darling, for heaven's sake, I'm deaf already. <laughs> uh, so you can, yeah, so robingeorge.co.uk, and there's links to Amazon and everywhere else to buy the albums. And I would recommend that people do buy your albums as well, because, um, and especially these the, these ones that just cover so many different artists that you work with, uh, they're such fantastic yeah. projects. But of course, your new acoustic album and the instrumental one looks very good. And obviously, I'm very excited about the the Glenn Hughes one as well. I mean, you you've got so much going on. I mean, as as, as lockdown did it, as it as it kind of regenerated your creative juices because you couldn't go out and play. Uh, yeah, yes, and like I said, it's uh, I can't say there's anything good about lockdown, no. but for me, because there was absolutely nothing else really one could do, even though it's much always been much freer here. You know, you could go out, you could sit outside a pub, etc. Uh, I just stayed here and in the studio and did all this. And so there's one, two, three, four, five, and six albums during the last, you know, lockdown years. As it were. Wow. Gosh, yeah. when when many people in your probably peer peer group are slowing down, you're you're speeding up. <laughs> yeah, there's no choice, really. It's got to be done. If I don't do it now, nobody else is going to do it, are they? So um, they, as we... They wouldn't as we... <laughs> So as we come to the end of the interview, are you are you looking forward to go, going out on the road? Are you are you, are you going to start lining up gigs? Uh, I don't really know because, um, you know, times are so different. But the right tour, the right festivals, yeah, of course, I'd love to play again. Because uh, I still can't play, which is kind of ridiculous. But, um, yeah, I, I would like to, but it would have to be the right offer, you know. Yeah, true. And also just finally, because of what we talked about, you've done so much during the lockdown uh, and the way that the world has changed for music, not always good uh, financially, but the fact that you can, a lot of people play in each other's albums without actually meeting each other face to face. I mean, yeah. do you get offers to guest or, or produce yeah. or, yeah? Oh, yeah. Uh, for example, yeah, I played on something, oh, I can't remember the name of the band, I'm sorry to say, but... Uh, if people approach me, yes, of course, if they need help, I'll, I'll play for them. It, oh, it was a guy called, um, it's Sweden Rock Records, and, pardon? Johannes. Johannes um, Lindstrom uh, has put an album together, and he asked me and um, Lawrence Archer, uh, Grand Slam, etc. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
to do a solo together on one of his songs. So we did. Uh, met Lawrence very briefly many moons ago with uh, Mark Stanley from Magnum. Uh, we were great mates at the time. But other than that, never met, met him before or since, and we just played together from a distance, and it worked out. It's great coming out soon as well. So. But yeah, I do play, I do do sessions, and when people ask me to remix stuff, yeah, I do. Pleasure. So, well, you know, mostly pleasure. <laughs> well, thanks. So, yeah. Well, thank you very much, Robin, for spending, um, giving me your time for this podcast and, and broadcast. I really, really appreciate it. And everybody, if you're listening and watching this, Heartline's acoustic album is well worth listening to, as well as the entire back catalogue. But please do make sure you buy the CD and support the artist directly. It's fantastic. Thank you. And all the links you'll find at the end of this video underneath the comments. So thanks very much. Um, and and it's been an absolute pleasure, Robin. And hopefully we'll, we'll talk again some other time. Well, I hope so, Phil. I hope so. Well researched. And yeah, thanks for your time.